Hello. Well, as many of you know, we have been uh, walking on the road to Emmaus together with Jesus in these past few weeks. And as Pastor Drew has invited us to enter into all of Scripture through this walk with Jesus, Jesus on the Emmaus Road, we have been reading from different uh, translations of the Bible. And this morning, we are reading this passage from the New King James Version. So hear this passage from Luke 24. Now behold, two of them were traveling that same day to a village called Emmaus, which was seven miles from Jerusalem, and they talked together of all these things which had happened. So it was, while they conversed and reasoned, that Jesus himself drew near and went with them. But their eyes were restrained, and they did not know it was him. And he said to them, What kind of conversation is this that you have with one another as you walk and are sad? Then the one who was named Cleopas answered and said to him, Are you the only stranger in Jerusalem? And have you not known the things which happened there in these days? And he said to them, What things? So they said to him, The things concerning Jesus of Nazareth, who was a prophet mighty in deed and word before God and all the people, and how the chief priests and our rulers delivered him over to be condemned to death and crucified him. But we were hoping that it was he who was going to redeem Israel. Indeed, besides all this, today is the third day since these things happened. Yes, and certain women of our company who arrived at the tomb early astonished us. When they did not find his body, they came saying that they had also seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. And certain of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but him they did not see. And then he said to them, O foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe in all that the prophets have spoken. Ought not the Christ to have suffered these things and enter into his glory? And beginning at Moses and all the prophets, he expounded to them in all the scriptures, the things concerning himself. Then they drew near to the village where they were going, and he indicated that he would have gone farther. But they constrained him, saying, Abide with us, for it's toward evening, and the day is far spent. And he went in to stay with them. Now it came to pass, as he sat at the table with them, that he took bread, blessed it, broke it, and gave it to them. And then their eyes were opened, and they knew him, and he vanished from their sight. And they said to one another, Did not our heart burn within us while he talked with us on the road, and while he opened the scriptures to us? So they rose up that very hour and returned to Jerusalem, and found the eleven and those who were with them gathered together, saying, The Lord is risen indeed, and has appeared to Simon. And they told about the things that had happened on the road, and how he was known to them in the breaking of the bread. This is Ascension Sunday, and this is the word of the Lord. Now, for those of you in this room, and if that keeps happening, I'll grab that mic, so I'm ready for us. Uh, For those of us that are in this room, or perhaps listening online, or perhaps at a later date, uh, listening to this moment, wherever you hear my voice, Uh, Just a show of hands, how many of you have seen that animated film, The Prince of Egypt? All right, 
Now, keep those hands up if you've seen it. Now, uh, for those of you, how many of you have seen Cecil B. DeMille's The Ten Commandments? Put your hand up. All right, so many in this room. All right, you can put those hands down. Of course, as Kim shared with us, we're in the middle of a journey, and it's a 10-week journey where we take a look at that passage and how Jesus basically says that the entire scripture, all of the written word is about himself. Every single page of the written word points to the living word. And so we find in Abraham how it points to Jesus. We find how Isaac points to Jesus. Joseph points to Jesus. Job points to Jesus. And today, we're going to see how the life of Moses actually points to who Jesus is and what real freedom is. But what we need to do is we need to get out of our mind uh, a biblical inaccuracy for those of us that have either seen the Prince of Egypt, for those of us that have seen Charlton Heston in the Ten Commandments, or for those of us that have heard the song, Whoa, Pharaoh, Pharaoh, you know that song? Don't, don't tell me to sing it, but, you know, there's that phrase, right? Pharaoh, Pharaoh. How's it go? Yeah, there you go. Now, the uh in that song, actually, that's the biblical inaccuracy. I didn't write that, actually, it's, but it's true that uh, in a sense, is the same mistake that the writer of Cecil B. DeMille's Ten Commandments makes on that line when Charlton Heston, plain Moses, goes before Pharaoh and he says, let my people go. And he doesn't say uh, but in a sense, there's a, there's a period because it's the end of the sentence. That's the inaccuracy. There's something that's actually missing in what Charlton Heston says to that Pharaoh. There's something missing in that song that's actually found here in Scripture. In fact, that phrase, let my people go, doesn't end with a period. There's actually something even beyond that. And if we think that the story is just about God asking Moses to go to Pharaoh and say, let my people go, we will completely misunderstand the story. And we will actually completely misunderstand what it means for us to go on our spiritual journeys. If we think that the only phrase is, let my people go, that actually distorts, it cheapens what it means for us to be followers of Christ. In fact, the book of Exodus, that Exodus journey from slavery in Egypt all the way to the promised land, in many ways, scholars say, and even the New Testament says, that that is a great picture, a great image for the journeys that we are on today in 2014. But often we've described that journey as a journey out of slavery to freedom. But it's really not a journey from slavery to freedom. We think it's a journey from slavery to freedom. And we love that phrase, let my people go, period. Because we hate slavery and we love freedom. Isn't it true? The greatest books, the greatest films, the greatest ideas are journeys, in a sense, of being freed from slavery, being freed from bondage into a sense of freedom. But that's not what this journey is all about. And though you will hear the word freedom, Scripture actually needs to redefine our definition of freedom because us today, as modern people, we describe freedom as this, being free not to serve anyone, 
being free not to have any Lord, being free not to have any master, being free not to have to answer to anyone, but being free to do whatever we want to do. That's how we define freedom. And often what we do is we look at Scripture and we think that in the same way that God freed the nation of Israel from slavery in Egypt to a free place, we think, okay, Jesus will free me. But then the problem is, is we forget that we, what we're being freed to. You see, if we think, if we believe that the sentence ends with let my people go, period, and if we think that the journeys that God has taken us on are simply a journey from slavery or bondage spiritually to freedom, actually what's going to happen is we will end up more enslaved, less free, more entrenched in the things that, that capture our hearts and our minds and our souls. So if you have your Bibles, or perhaps it's in the pew, perhaps you brought it with you on your phone, every translation, why don't you open up to Exodus chapter 9. And we're going to see what Cecil B. DeMille, what the writer of that song, what uh, even the Prince of Egypt left out in Exodus 9. And this will be a little clue that will help reshape, redefine what this journey is. So this is Exodus chapter 9, verse 1. So as you're turning there, this is after the book of Genesis. Here we are in the book of Exodus chapter 9. Just as a little historical context, you had Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Jacob, his name was changed to Israel. He had 12 sons, one of them being Joseph. And remember that story from two weeks ago in which all of the nation of Israel experienced a thriving existence in the land of Egypt. But then years went by where the leadership, the pharaohs, the ones in power forgot who Joseph was, forgot who Yahweh, the Lord God Almighty was. They forgot all those things. And they ended up in slavery. Physical slavery, spiritual slavery, completely imprisoned, completely in bondage. They had no identity. They had no sense of value, no sense of anything. It was the complete opposite of freedom. For 430 years, they cry out to God. God hears their cries. He remembers his promise that he made to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and he does something about it. He goes to Moses, and he calls Moses to do something that he couldn't do on his own power. And he goes before um, Pharaoh, and there's these interchanges, and there's ten plagues. You remember the Ten Commandments, the Prince of Egypt. You know the story. In fact, I could do like a hundred-week series just on this story, but I've only got 15 minutes left. But it gets to this point in Exodus 9, where Charlton Heston had it wrong, where we can have it wrong if we put a period where there's actually a comma. Listen to this. Then the Lord said to Moses, this is chapter 9, verse 1, Go to Pharaoh and say to him, Thus says the Lord, the God of the Hebrews, Let my people go. Comma. There's no uh. It's a comma, right? And if you have your own Bible, if you have an ability, let's say you take notes, I want you to circle that comma, underline that comma, put a big arrow towards that comma. If it's a pew Bible, just, just remember that comma in your mind. Perhaps don't write in it. But there's something key. God says, Moses, go to Pharaoh and say to him, let my people go so that, so that they may worship me. That one sentence, that one verse, encapsulates not only the whole story of Exodus, but it actually encapsulates the whole story of Scripture. And in fact, that one verse, in a sense, 
encapsulates, describes our spiritual journeys. God asks a mediator, go to the one enslaving you and say to him, that one, that thing, let my people go, my people, God says, so that they may worship me. You see, Charlton Heston didn't say the full sentence. The song doesn't say the full sentence. And it's easy for us to think that our spiritual journeys are one of just being freed from slavery to complete freedom. But you see what's happening here, and it's so easy to overlook. God is saying, I want you to go to Pharaoh, the one enslaving you, to free them so that they may serve and worship me. So the book of Exodus, in fact, all of Scripture, in fact, our spiritual journeys are not a journey from slavery to freedom, from captivity to freedom, from bondage to freedom. And I'm going to say this, and I know that this, this might grate against your heart and your ear, because even as I say this, even though it's a truth of Scripture, the word that I'm going to use is actually a very loaded word in our culture in the history of this country and around the world. But Scripture, the story of the Exodus, is actually a journey from slavery to slavery. Now, even as I say that, I, I begin to sweat a little bit in the back of my neck because I know that emails are probably starting to come in right now. People pull out their phones and say, how can you say that? Don't you realize how awful that word is? Yeah, I do. Not only has our country experienced the injustice and the brokenness that comes from one group enslaving another. But we see this around the world even today. But there is this truth in Scripture that is revealed that every single one of us is actually born, wherever we are physically born, we are spiritually born in Egypt. We are spiritually born as a slave. We are spiritually born enslaved to sin, to death, to brokenness. And it's so easy for us to not even recognize that we have been born into a spiritual sense of slavery. And I, I know I say that word, and it's such a loaded word, but it's the word that Scripture uses. Even the New Testament says that we are slaves to sin. And it's easy for us to, to think that the spiritual journey that God wants to take us on is just to free us from that slavery so that we can experience freedom. But freedom in the modern definition of being a slave to no one, a master of no one, having a lord of no one. And it's easy for us to perhaps recognize the things that enslave us, the things that, that capture our heart. For me, my slave master has always been, apart from following Jesus, other people's opinion of me, the approval of others. Having somebody look at me and say, man, great job, Drew. That becomes a slave master in my life when I begin to make decisions to serve that reality, to become different people so that that one person would say, great job, well done. And the thing that happens when somebody doesn't approve of me or if I get an email that says, man, you're, you're, you're a fake or, or you did this all wrong, all of a sudden my heart begins to wrench inside. 
and my, my, my broken reaction, because I have been spiritually born dead, Scripture says, in this place of bondage, like a spiritual Egypt, I want to do anything I can to make that person now prove me to like me. I have become enslaved to their opinion of me. And I know that that's not true for everyone in this room, but every single one of us is enslaved to something. Perhaps it's our health, where we will do anything. We will cast aside anything else so that we could have the health that would make us feel joy, make us feel peace, make us feel significance. And if we don't have that, if we get the, the diagnosis from the doctor, if we wake up with that back pain again, all of a sudden our world begins to crumble. In fact, if I was to ask you the question, what's the one thing in your life that if it was taken away from you, that perhaps your entire world would come crashing down? It could be good things. It could be a friend. It could be a relationship. It could be a spouse. It could be your kids. It could be your job. It could be your title. It could be the things that you own. Those are all good things. But if we make that good thing the ultimate thing, then we will find our peace and our joy and our satisfaction, all those things. And the problem is, is they will let us down. And we will become enslaved to those things. And we'll have to serve that. But the journey that God wants us to take us on isn't to free us from that so that we would just be free in a modern definition. He wants to free us from that so we can be slaves to something else. And I know even as I say that, you probably say, what are you talking about? What, what, do you, what do you mean by that? What does that look like practically? Well, take a look here in Scripture. Fast forward. So that means turn the page or scroll if you have it on your phone. You have Exodus 9. And you're going to go to Exodus 14. At the very end of 14, something happens. And again, the actual phrase is, let my people go so that they may worship me. There's this amazing rescue. They're pinned against the Red Sea. The chariots and the warriors of Egypt coming in. They're, they're, they're hemmed in. God does something amazing. He parts the Red Sea. They end up passing through. They have to enter through this. Scripture says there's about 600,000 men. Scholars believe that's about 2.5 million people, men, women, and children. They're taking the spoils of Egypt. They're carrying Joseph's bones. They're weighed down. This is an equipped, light, elite group. They're 2.5 million, perhaps, going through the Red Sea. They get to the other side. God causes the walls of water to crush and to annihilate God's enemies. They are now on the other side. They've passed through, very decisive, very clear. They've passed through death. Now they're experiencing life. And their reaction is this. This is at the end of Exodus 14. Thus the Lord saved Israel that day from the Egyptians. And Israel saw the Egyptians dead on the seashore. Israel saw the great work that the Lord did against the Egyptians. So the people feared the Lord, which is a positive term in Scripture. They're filled with awe, reverence. They feared the Lord and believed in the Lord and in his servant Moses. Then Moses and the Israelites sang this song to the Lord. In that moment, they experienced freedom. They were still 40 years from getting to the physical promised land, yet spiritually in that moment, they were set free. 
because they had been let go from bondage, let go from slavery, and now in that moment they were in the middle of the desert with no luxury, no promised land, yet even in sight, and they worshipped God. Spiritually they had arrived. Now the problem is, is very quickly they forgot. They began to say, gosh, God, it was so, it was so good in Egypt. We had it so good. You see, the truth is, even though they got out of Egypt, they couldn't get Egypt out of themselves, and they longed for the things that had enslaved them in the past. Even though they had been saved, they kept wanting to go back to that thing. And as a result, what should have only taken 11 days, Deuteronomy says, took 40 years. Not because they were physically lost in the desert, but because they were spiritually lost. You see, the physical journey was from Egypt to the promised land. The physical journey was from slavery in Egypt to freedom in the promised land. But the spiritual journey was from slavery in Egypt to having a new Lord, a new master, one who they were obedient to, who they took direction from. And the moment they did that, the moment they responded in worship, now you are my Lord, not Pharaoh, you God, they had arrived. You see, our spiritual journeys are not a journey from slavery to freedom as we in the modern world define freedom, but actually it is a journey from slavery, all the things that that entice us, that, that draw us in, perhaps even things come into your mind right now, whether it's addictions or it's thoughts, or things that we keep coming back to. God wants to free us from that by giving us a new Lord, by giving us a new master. And really there's only one that is worthy of our being Lord, one who is worthy of our being a master. In fact, there's only one Lord and one master that actually won't oppress us, who won't crush us. And it's a one who came many, many years later after Moses, who went to the cross on our behalf. And the way that Paul describes in a letter to the church in Philippi and Philippians, he says that Jesus, even though he was in the very nature with God, didn't consider equality with God something to be grasped, so he emptied himself and became a slave. And he humbled himself even to the point of death. Do you realize that Jesus, the most powerful being in all the universe, chose to be a slave for you? He didn't go to the cross as a victim. He went to the cross victorious so that you could be set free. When you allow your heart and your mind to take that truth in, that Jesus is the ultimate mediator that God uses to call us out of bondage, out of slavery spiritually, to now worship and follow him, Scripture then gives us a title. And it's a title that's not very popular. We like child of God titles. We like, you know, part of the royal priesthood. We like those sort of titles. But Scripture says 130 different times that you are a doulos. You know what that means in Greek, doulos? It actually means a slave. That's not a popular thought, I know, and I know that's a loaded word, and even as I say that, I get very uncomfortable, but the truth is, is that in Scripture, when it says, well done, good and faithful, it doesn't say servant. 
There's six different words for the word servant, but it doesn't use the word servant. It uses the word doulos. It's really translated, well done, good and faithful slave. We don't like that word. As modern translators, we've softened that word to be servant. But I found in my life that when I turn to Jesus as my Lord, not just Savior, but also as my Lord, who gives me direction, who is the only master that I have to please, and all of a sudden, all these other masters in my life become far less important. So that no matter what people say to me, if it's not granted the truth of who I am in Christ, then it's just words. It doesn't enslave me to those things. It sets me free to actually live for him. And Scripture says that if we follow Jesus, then we are not only set free from slavery and the spiritual bondage of sin, but we're set free so that we can follow him. So as a result, Paul writes his letters, James writes his letters, Titus writes his letters, and they always start with this phrase. Paul, a not servant, but actually the word is doulos. Paul, a slave of Christ. Jesus has come to set you free so that you can follow him, so that you can worship the one true only God. You see, Moses was the true first worship leader in a sense. He invites the nation of Israel to come out of bondage of slavery to come and to worship God alone. As a church, God is calling every single one of us out of a bondage of spiritual slavery to submit our lives in obedience to a Lord and a master who actually leads us to freedom, who gives us real joy, real peace, real freedom, real significance in ways that nothing else can. In the midst of this whole journey, there's this moment which we refer to as the Passover. And I love how even before God provides the Passover lamb, before God enables them to be set free, he actually describes to the nation of Israel something that they are supposed to do to remember that moment. And for every year after that, in the Passover meal, there would be the family that would come together and they would have different elements of this meal. And there was always three pieces of this unleavened bread that we'd broken up into three different pieces in three different compartments, and those represented Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And there were different cups, and even the family would would play a part in asking and talking about and remembering how God was so faithful. Well, there was this moment in every Passover meal, and even my Jewish friends today continue to do this, where the youngest child will actually get up and open up the door and say, blessed is he who comes. And it was this anticipation, it was an expectation for Elijah to walk into the room to announce the coming king who would set them free once and for all. The youngest child was involved in that act of worship. They'd fling the door open, but every time they flung it open, Elijah would not walk in. And they would sit back down and they would wait expectantly for God to deliver them. Well, the night Jesus was betrayed, when he went to that same Passover meal, He took the bread. It wasn't about Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He said, this is my body given for you. When he took the cup, he chose one of the cups. We'll talk in a couple weeks about what that cup was. He said, this is my blood of the new covenant shed for you. There was no description of a Passover lamb because the true Passover lamb was at the table. And no no door had to be flung open inviting Elijah in because the king was actually there and present. You see, today in the history of the church, on this calendar day, on Ascension Sunday, we celebrate the fact that Jesus defeated death, victorious, and ascended to the right hand of the Father. 
where he intercedes for us on our behalf. Infinitely more than Moses, he is our mediator. You don't have to come to me to be made right with God. You don't have to come to any other person. All you have to do is go to Jesus, who paid it all, who enables you to be set free so that you can follow him, to worship him, to go so far to serve him. And dare I say what Scripture says, to be a slave to him in a way that is so unlike any other slavery this world has ever seen that sets us free to actually be a voice for the voiceless, to care for those who are broken in this world, to to be a voice that speaks against injustice and actual physical slavery. We need those reminders every day. And even on this Sunday, I think it would be so appropriate for us to, to even be reminded to hear how God has rescued us out of slavery into something so much more. So I've got Alex for us in the room, and she's going to read. This is one of our high school students here, and she's going to read out of Deuteronomy, out of the Shema. So you can grab that, that microphone, and I want you to hear these words, even as we are preparing our hearts to receive the Lord's Supper that is all about Jesus. May you think about your spiritual journey one that sets you free from spiritual slavery to a new kind of spiritual slavery. But that kind of slavery, as we follow Jesus as our Lord and our Master, sets us truly free. Hear these words. Okay. Deuteronomy 4 through 12. Hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord alone. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. Keep these words that I am commanding you today in your heart. Recite them to your children and talk about them when you are at home and when you are away, when you lie down and when you rise. Bind them as a sign on your hand, fix them as an emblem on your forehead, and write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. When the Lord your God has brought you into the land that he swore to your ancestors, to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob, to give you a land with fine, large cities that you did not build, houses filled with all sorts of goods that you did not fill, hewn cisterns that you did not hew, vineyards and olive groves that you did not plant. And when you have eaten your fill, take care that you do not forget the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. Would you pray with me? God, as we gather here in this place, Jesus, may we remember that you as our master tell us that your yoke is light and your burden is easy. May these truths bounce around in our heart and our mind that we would enter your place of freedom only through being a slave and a servant to you, the ultimate servant, Jesus, who served us, who gave your life for us, who sets us free. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.